Hello, and welcome to Editor's Pick, a War Elephant podcast, episode four. I have with me my co-host, Christine. Hi. And we have three topics to talk about today from our War Elephant community on Quora. The first of them is uh, the discussion about the court packing. Uh, this is, of course, in everyone's mind because Amy Coney Barrett's hearing started today. And this is kind of a, a scattershot topic because there's just so many things going on with the coverage of it, with the, um, the attacks on Amy Coney Barrett herself and her family, the reframing of the discussion of court packing. Um, so while we start with that court packing um, element, it was sort of brought up because uh, Vice President Biden said quite oddly that voters don't deserve to know his position on court packing. So what did you think of that very odd response, Christine? Uh, it was classic politician equivocation, Ian, that he, he has a little bit of arrogance. Okay, a lot of arrogance. They He gets credit for being a, a uniter and so politically adept. But when you listen to him speak, he's actually quite angry when he gets asked things that he doesn't want to hear. I and still this don't understand what dog face pony soldier was supposed to be, but <laughs> anger in those words was really obvious. Yes. And and notice that was actually towards one of his, the left wing people in the, he's in the been Democrat. very destructive to his own team, which is very odd. Yes. Although, I mean, our own side is no better. President Trump has destroyed so many of his own supporters. Right. But in this case, this was a question that Biden really didn't want to answer because he didn't have a good answer for it. The The truth is the concept of packing the courts is not a new concept. Now, we should go back and say, what is packing the courts? This goes back to... Well, that is kind of the key the thing right now. Right. The, the FDR presidency and the New Deal, where they weren't sure that the New Deal was going to stand. And so, well, the Supreme Court kept s snipping off parts of it as unconstitutional. Right. So, so the the FDR administration came up with this idea that in order to get their legislation to stand, they they really couldn't get around the Supreme Court. And they said, so what we need to do is we really just need to make it so that the, we have enough justices on the Supreme Court that we can pass anything we want. And if they're sympathetic with progressivism, which was the main thing at the time, and literally the same progressivism that we're dealing with today. He said, if we have enough, enough of these justices sympathetic to progressivism, they'll pass anything. They'll, they'll agree to anything that we've passed and we'll no longer have a problem. And so when Ruth Bader Ginsburg started getting ill and, and there were rumors, you know, is she going to die? Is there going to be a problem here? Uh, Democrat operatives started talking, maybe it's time to resurrect court packing. That old idea of FDRs, which never did work. They tried it. Well, and it's interesting, even, even progressive historians will admit that it was a very unethical strategy by FDR. Even though they're generally in favor of why he did it, they acknowledged that the tactic was unacceptable. And so it's very distressing that so many, both mainstream and academic and elite commentators are acting like court packing is a completely justifiable action when we were all pretty much on the same side. If you lose the Senate, 
you lose the ability to make decisions on the court. Um, but now losing the Senate is illegitimate. So you have to win by any means necessary. And I, I've been very frustrated because even some commentators I like on the left uh, who are generally, of course, have their, their principles, but they're willing to admit that if you lose the Senate, you've lost that part of the game and you have to wait till you can win the Senate back. But they've started using language like court stuffing to describe what uh, Mitch McConnell's doing. And that's not how it works. Um, um, that's right, Ian. And they've gone even farther and said that all court appointments that Trump has made are technically court stuffing, or now they're just using the term court packing. And well, Kamala everyone, Harris or Kamala Harris um, mentioned that because most of his appointments are white and male, that is packing, which is beyond offensive. And and do the statistics bear that up, though? I mean, aren't his appointments fairly in line with demographics? That was my well, understanding. The, being in line with demographics goes against critical race theory, because critical race theory says, because of historic injustices, if you are honest and match up with demographics, you are actually furthering white supremacy, because we need to overturn white supremacy and have... Um, ret uh, reparative justice restorative restorative justice. i i believe in restorative justice what they're doing is reparations right i don't believe in that so but this idea of the the fact that republicans have nominated and appointed republican sympathetic justices and and not say republican sympathetic because a justice is supposed to be neutral when it comes to politics towards the law um but the the idea that republicans have been even nominating justices, period, is now being called court packing. Everyone's going, where did this come from? You know, it started to almost everybody three days ago when Joe Biden came out in an interview with reporters. And he said on the tarmac, everyone should look at Republicans. They're the ones practicing court packing. And what he meant was Republicans are nominating judges. But it actually traces back to earlier this summer. The uh, first incident of this I could find was on a far-left progressive podcast, The Ring of Fire, which is actually a fairly substantial podcast. It's got 605,000 YouTube subscribers. This is not a minor issue. 65,000 Twitter followers. And they suggested that all Republican nominations were constituting court packing and an illegitimate use of power even though that is quite literally what the Constitution says you're supposed to do if you have power. That is correct. That is correct. This was followed up uh, September 22nd at the American Prospect, a far-left progressive magazine, which suggested that if, if um, Republicans attack the concept of court packing, Democrats should defend it and say all Republican appointments are illegitimate and are merely court packing. And this is a strategy necessary to correct Republican abuse of power. Yeah, I mean, the, the language I'm starting to hear is rebalancing the courts, that's, which that's exactly correct. The court shouldn't be balanced in the first place. It should be all upholding the law. Correct. It's, it's not about a tug of war between the left and the right. It should be about 
uh, application of the law. Then there was an opinion piece in the Tampa Bay Times by Professor William Myers on 924, which again suggested that Republicans are packing the courts by appointing judges. And, and I will say this, um, Joe Biden's campaign has been pretty diligent about pushing this narrative that you've traced back to August. Um, but even though I've been pretty disappointed with Jake Tapper recently, he did a magnificent job um, just dismantling Joe Biden's uh, deputy campaign manager the other night who, who came on and said, this is court, the Republicans are court packing. We're just trying to rebalance the court. It's unconstitutional that the Republicans are nominating and confirming justices like this. And Jake Tapper said, no, that's literally what the constitution says. You just, you cannot just say that because you don't like it is unconstitutional. So mm -hmm. I was very impressed with Jake Tapper. There. Good, that's, good. That's, that's uh, intellectual integrity. And it was fairly courageous given his dislike of Trump and his favoring of Biden. And, and the news, mainstream newspapers are kind of all over the place on this right now. They're, they're, are, they're split. They're really split. So you're finding defense and you're finding support for the idea both. So the newspapers have not made up their minds. But on August 29th, Mother Jones magazine ran a, a piece supporting the idea that Republicans practicing normal governance and constitutional powers of appointing judges was court packing. Now, for me, that was really the key to seeing when everyone was going to judge, jump on this narrative. And because something that as I, we go on and trace these kinds of news stories is Mother Jones is one of the instigators of these kinds of narrators. Um, a lot right. of people look to that organ for the narrative that they push, and it's kind of uncanny. So we will be pointing this out. More. And then on October 9th, the Huffington Post picked it up and they ran with it. And Huffington Post is kind of the left mainstream. And that was in advance of Biden using it. And then Biden used it. And after Biden used it, the rest of the, the Democrat party just fell in line immediately. And I think part of that is they didn't want to leave their candidate hanging. You know, well, he said it, now we're going to support him. This is an unfortunate tendency that we've seen in politics in recent years, no matter what. Um, well, I don't, I don't know if it's recent years. We've always had a problem if the, the person with the most power says something. There's always, I mean, it's the emperor's new clothes all over again. Of course, of course. So this tendency is, is ancient. Yes. But the idea, the seeds were already planted there. The, the ability to swallow this one had, had really been put into Primed. people's mind. And these sources, uh, to many of people in our conservative audience, aren't really going to be familiar with them. But if you are a left-wing activist, you know these people. Yeah. These, the, and if you are a left-wing political um, commenter, if you're a left-wing political strategist, if you are in charge of policy for any of the DNC operatives, you're going to be familiar with what these people are saying. And so the Democrats quickly fell in line with, with what, uh, what uh, Biden had said. And then now we're at the point where they're running pieces at the Washington Post defending this kind of doublespeak. Well, we'll obviously keep tracking this because last uh, two years ago, the Kavanaugh hearing was the uh, political event 
And I honestly think the Kavanaugh event was probably the political event of the last decade. Um, it was. Because I used to think that I wouldn't live to see something that made me as angry as what they did to Robert Bork. Now, of course, I'm not old enough to remember what they did to Robert Bork, but just reading about what Ted Kennedy said about Robert Bork on the floor of the Senate, I mean, my blood still boils at the sheer slander of what he said. What they did to Kavanaugh was worse. And it is shameful that President Trump wasted the justified outrage on his own narcissism and lost the House. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Uh, let's move on to uh, political violence. Of course, at War Elephant, we covered um, the shameful attempted kidnapping of Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. And we condemn with the most strenuous and intense language any attempts to praise, plan, instigate, or justify political violence. But it has become distressingly common. Um, and we wanted to highlight the fact that not only were there these, I think, six or so men who wanted to kidnap Governor Whitmer, but 16 we also... 16 now. Was it 16 men? It's now 16 men have been arrested. It's, it, I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, and thank goodness they didn't succeed. Um, yes. I, I am no fan of Governor Whitmer, but what you do if you're not a fan of a politician is you call for transparency, you call for investigation, and you try and vote them out. You do not in any way attack them. Um, but we had a woman from Canada named Pascal Ferrier who um, mailed ricin or tried to mail ricin to President Trump. Um, thankfully, it was also foiled. Uh, ricin is one of the nastiest poisons that is available. Um, yeah, have, she, she was arrested trying to cross the U.S. border carrying weapons. Um, yeah. Quite a bit of ammunition, a handgun, a knife, a stun gun, pepper spray, and a baton. So they actually picked her up at Border Patrol and then in the interrogation were able to link her to the assassination attempt. Yeah. And um, there was another um, male attempt uh, of poisoning several people, not just the president in 2018 that didn't get a lot of press. I hadn't, I actually hadn't heard of this one. The big one that I wanted to bring up is the 2017 congressional baseball game shooting. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because that one got far enough that they actually opened fire on the crowd of Republican representatives and Steve Scalise, the majority, I think he's now minority whip. Yes. Um, was very seriously injured and thank God he survived. But the conservative media made a very determined effort to be fair, um, even though the man who committed this heinous act was very clearly a Bernie Sanders supporter. He was also very clearly mentally um, ill. He, he was not a sane man. He was not a well man. And, and, and that's true, Ian, of most people who yes. will engage in this kind of violence. They aren't well they're stirred up by the rhetoric though and they're usually very upset um sometimes justifiably so sometimes not but i watched people i respect 
work very hard to say, no, this was a mental illness problem. This was a disturbed person. This was not Bernie Sanders' responsibility. Even though Bernie Sanders was making, he, he, was, he was saying extremely inflammatory things, very dehumanizing to um, his Republican governmental colleagues. Part of me wishes we hadn't been so balanced because there have been so many articles blaming President Trump for his liberate Michigan tweets. And I, I thought those tweets were stupid when they came out, but I did not, I did not take them as a call to violence. Um, I took them as a vote them out. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he, he did mean unhinged things. It's hard to tell with President Trump sometimes. <laughs> but I think it is incredibly irresponsible, unbalanced, and unethical what the media is doing with this Whitmer kidnapping attempt. No one on the right is applauding this. Well, not only that, but one of the people who was arrested, Ian, is actually a YouTuber himself who has anarcho-communist ideology. Yeah, and so they've, they've criticized kind of... President Trump as well. It's not like they felt that President Trump was their great leader that they were trying to support. And, and this, this group apparently wanted to instigate a civil war and be self-governing. And um, if you're out here and you're listening to this and you think you're a conservative and you think you're going to conserve the country by destroying it, I have news for you. You're not conserving anything. You are deeply, deeply against the ideals of this country, which are for peace and freedom for everybody, equality for everybody. We have an established order of government, which is very functional. Even if you don't like the way that decisions get, or the decisions that get made, the order of our government has been very stable for over 200 years. And there, there's always supposed to be a way you can change the things you don't like. Yes. And we've, I'm not going to deny the fact that it does seem like some of that power has been either lost or forgotten. Um, but I think if we become purely cynical and think that we, we need to keep working at centralizing power and hurting the people we disagree with, it's not going to go anywhere we like. And, and I think you're, you're on to something very important there, Ian, and that is the more power gets concentrated in government, the more disaffected and upset people are going to be because they cede more and more control over their daily lives to another authority. And, and that will be on the left or the right or in people who don't fit into anything whatsoever. As long as they feel that their only solutions to anything are political, then the political tug of wars are going to only exacerbate. And the rhetoric has got to be something we look at everywhere. I was extremely distressed this weekend to watch Keith Olbermann. And he said some very shocking things on his YouTube cast. And, and he has over a million followers. And, and he said, and I'm going to quote him because this is absolutely appalling. Uh, 
he said that Trump cannon must be expunged. He must be defeated. He must be destroyed. He and his enablers and his supporters and his collaborators must be prosecuted and convicted and removed from our society. This brings to mind the, the Bernie campaign's rhetoric about how we need to reinstitute gulags, and gulags weren't really so bad. They were just re-education, and once Bernie wins, we're going to have a bunch of re I mean, well, this, this goes, shouldn't be acceptable for major political candidates. This goes beyond gulags. Uh, this actually, to when I listen to this, I hear a call for democide, and, and it terrifies me, and, and it went out to millions of people. And, and I don't see anyone talking about it. No, very I few people are talking about it. The fact and, that someone with a million followers and major platforms on networks is able to say something like this and no one notices, that's really distressing. And right now, we've just lived through a summer with incredible amounts of unrest. You know, you and I live in a state that has suffered more than most, you know, be, with, with all of the, the burnings, because we live in Minnesota and we, we know pretty well what happens when people feel disaffected, when they feel like they have no voice, and when individuals who may not even be politically aware uh, decide to take advantage of the political unrest and use it for their own ends, and of what happens when other individuals will who have no alliance to anybody decide, hey, I'm going to use this unrest and stoke the fires more. It, it turns into a very vicious cycle. It's extremely disruptive and it only creates more and more distrust and hate. And that's something that we need to do a lot as a country to combat. Um, right now, uh, Recent polling shows that one third of Americans with strong political affiliation believe political violence is somewhat justified if your candidate loses. We're, we're not talking about political violence if you experience major oppression or something, just if your candidate loses. This is terrible and it cuts across political lines. That's both Republicans and Democrats. This is a problem. This is a serious problem. One third of Americans with strong political affiliations believe that violence can be used to advance your political goals. We should not be here. We absolutely should not be here. And Pew polling also supports this. David Kilcullen, a former Australian army officer and a Bush administration counterterrorism advisor, Bush Jr says, in his experience in countries, including Iraq, only a tiny minority, 2 to 5% of individuals in insurgencies, civil wars, or criminal gangs actually commit violence. And I think and this is really key. Takes. I think this is really key because of that percentage that the news networks were throwing around about how these protests were 93% peaceful. That's 8%. That's the 7% not peaceful, which is more than this terrorist expert says is normal in a violent insurgency. It really isn't that many that causes huge amounts of suffering. Um, and it's um, coming, it's coming from people who are viewing each other 
and their political opponents as evil, as less than human. Uh, one of the things that Keith Olbermann said, he called he called Republicans maggots, the, the, the insect maggots. This just hit alarm bells all over for me because I mean, it that's is, almost identical to the cockroach um, that they, they use to dehumanize the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda. Yes, exactly, Ian. That it, it, it just it made me sick to hear it. And right now, uh, from a 2018 Axios poll, and this was 2018, and I have no doubt it's worse in 2020. 61% of Democrats used the terms racist, bigoted, and sexist as their first description of Republicans. 54 used ignorant, and 44% used spiteful. 21% used evil. On That's the one in five. Yeah. And only 4% said they were fair, 3% thought they were th thoughtful, and 2% thought they were kind. These are your neighbors. And on the Republican side, 49% of Republicans thought Democrats were ignorant, 54 thought they were spiteful, and 23% thought they were evil. Only 4% of Republicans described Democrats as fair or thoughtful, and only 3% described them as kind. Mm -hmm. We are not looking at each other at all with a positive lens. And, and from, from a Pew Research poll in 2019, between 79 to 83% of Republicans and Democrats view the other party, members of the other party, with a very cold feeling. And that is just setting the stage for more and more problems between us. If we cannot see each other as well-intentioned, as thoughtful, as wanting a good life for ourselves and for other people, as being mostly good people, if we see each other primarily as bad people, we're going to see more and more of this kind of violence. And that sort of brings us to the final point that I wanted to talk about, which is we had a great post about the worst, uh, the most worthless year in human history, because there's been such a meme, especially on Twitter, which of course is not super representative, but there is that feeling that 2020 is the worst year ever. We're suffering under a pandemic. We have an election that's a complete nightmare because both candidates are really not prepared, not fit for what they're trying to be elected for. Um, we have violence pretty much nonstop since May. And I mean, it is not great, mm -hmm. but let's run through some of the research that you did. 1933, Hitler rises to power. The Gestapo was established. We have book burning, concentration camps, pogroms, eugenics. So um, the mentally disabled and uh, even just regular disabled people were purged. Yep. Um, you know, the British, even in the Allies, and I've often said this myself, there was a hair's breadth of dis difference between the Axis and the Allies uh, in terms of which political and philosophical factions had power. There were enormous movements of black shirts and brown shirts in America and um, England. 
that agreed completely with Hitler. Um, so, so it's not, it's almost an accident that the Axis uh, managed to annoy the allies enough that the people who happened to be in charge disagreed with Hitler. Um, 1918, a, a decade or so earlier, the Spanish flu left 50 million people dead after World War I, which left, you know, one in five men in most of Europe dead. Um, 1848, you had the year of revolution, enormous political upheaval, which caused enormous suffering, including things like the response to the Irish famine. And of course, Marx and Engels started their <laughs> bloody-handed communist manifesto. Which we're still paying for today. Yes, we are. Uh, 1520, the smallpox arriving in Americas. 50 to 90% of Native Americans died in that. And that was completely by accident. They had no idea what was happening. It wasn't intentional, but it's still... It was devastating. It was absolutely devastating. 1348 and 1349, the plague hits Europe widespread. One half of the population died. Uh, there were widespread pogroms against Jews um, in major cities. These weren't like small events. These were major city killings. Uh, you have your volcanic eruptions, you know, Ireland and, of course, Pompeii. And, um, and, and historians argue 536 was possibly the worst year in all of history. Of course, it was in the middle of the uh, Justinian Plague. We all, we all remember the bubonic plague of the Middle well, Ages. But and most people this, seem have this idea that there was just one plague. No. There were plagues every couple of years. But the Justinian plague actually uh, entered, ushered in the Dark Ages of Europe. It, it ceased political, civil, artistic, economic, uh, everything progression for hundreds of years. Uh, through all great areas because it toppled an empire. It toppled nations. And uh, there was a volcanic eruption in Iceland, which brought about a huge climate change. And then there was two years of dense fog. Dense fog, not just the ash, which had caused a year of problems, but a dense, bizarre fog that covered Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. And for two years, temperatures were extremely low. It snowed in southern China widespread crop failures, famine throughout the entire Northern Hemisphere. This is on top of plague and not related to the plague. This is just because the crops all failed and the plague would normally bring crop failures and starvation on, on its own. There was the Gothic War and the Byzantines were able to enter Rome unopposed. It was quite arguably one of the worst years to simply be a human being. Yep. Anywhere. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, you have the people who think that because President Trump is in power, he is the worst president. Um, and I, I lived through this with President Bush. When President Bush left office, there was disgusting commentary about how he was the worst president in living memory. And I was like, you know, Jimmy Carter's still alive. <laughs> um, who, all due credit, is a great he's person. He's a good man. He's, he's a good, good man. man. But as a president, mm. he, he let dictators roll over him and cause immense suffering. And he did nothing to fight the worst evil empires of China and Russia, who were just 
torturing and slaughtering their citizens by the tens of millions. And, um, yeah. But and I mean, let's let's talk about some other candidates for worst presidents. Uh, a lot of people I, like to lambast Nixon. Uh, obviously, he, he his not a good president. His pre well, his presidency wasn't that bad, but he, did he became a watcher. He became a watcher for corruption. You know, I'd yes. like to note he had some amazing, amazing accomplishments. He created the EPO, which highly controversial among con conservatives, and OSHA, but they have had some significant positive impacts in terms of workplace safety of and sanitary stuff. It's they yes. Much as I may not like a lot of regulations, I do think regulations help save lives. Um, and I would he, definitely say OSHA definitely helps. He actually strongly believed the law should be colorblind and put in judges that were strongly committed to that and was committed to having the administration work towards equality for all people. He oversaw the first man moonwalk and was committed to NASA and to science, to cancer research, profoundly increased research for his science. Ca his Quaker heritage gave him a deep love of peace, which is part of why he put so much pressure on China to open economically, which would serve as a counterbalance to Russia's aggression in the Vietnam War. So that was a big part of how he ended the Vietnamese War. Um, and he also sought peace with Russia, yeah. which he doesn't get a whole lot of credit for either. But all but he definitely was a corrupt was man. Undone by his corruption, where his re-election re team broke into the DRC headquarters, stealing campaign information. So the team ultimately went down for conspiracy, burglary, and wiretapping. And of course, with the smoking gun tape, it came out that he knew about it. And and he went right down with them and and eroded an enormous amount of public trust in the presidency, the office of the presidency in politics, you can really see trust in our elected politicians just plummeted following him. My personal favorite um, for worst president is Woodrow Wilson. Um, oh. As I as I mentioned earlier, he tried to, well, no, he succeeded in resegregating the White House. Yep. Um, he screened white nationalist propaganda in the form of Birth of a Nation in the White House and says it was a masterpiece. Well, you know, you know, Wilson was a historian. And a he terrible had, historian. Well, he had he was a he was a professor and he had written a history, a revisionist history that was a part of the lost cause narrative. This kind of drives me insane because all you have to do is read the speeches of the Confederacy to know how false the Lost Cause narrative is. But he was a big proponent of it. And he gave speeches that, and he wrote things justifying the Ku Klux Klan. And his book was the Invisible Empire. He called, in his book, he called the KKK an invisible empire of the South bound together in a loose organization to protect the southern country from some of the ugliest hazards of a time of revolution. He said terrible things, and they were quoted in Birth of a Nation. They, the, if you watch that movie, the placards beneath it quote Woodrow Wilson. And that's why he screened it and even, at the White House. Even if you accept that he's a man of his time, which he wasn't. He was no. unusually racist for his time. Even yes. if you accept that. He put people in jail who disagreed with him for yes. political reasons. Like yes. he literally 
took political prisoners. Yep. He made um, criticizing him illegal. He, he was dictatorial. He was tyrannical. He wanted to be an absolute ruler. And and going back to his resegregating the work, the government, at the time of his presidency, 10% of the federal workforce was black. Black uh, people occupied every single level of government. The entire bureaucracy was hired and promoted on merit. And he actually went through and fired all supervisors who were people of color. Which is why I say he wasn't a man of his time. He no. was very much a conscious and, and And if you look at the historical records from Washington, D.C. at the time, black homeownership in D.C. was identical to white homeownership. It was on par. And after him, it plummeted and it never did really recover. Uh, when they talk about systemic problems, Woodrow Wilson was a systemic problem. And he did it on purpose. A lot of these yes. systemic problems, I would agree, existed, but oftentimes they were done incidentally or accidentally without understanding the consequences. Woodrow and, Wilson did it on purpose. And he was a progressive. He instituted all kinds of progressive policies. He he instituted the Federal Reserve, the income tax, he, and he, he wanted us actually to be ruled over by an international body. He wrote for that. Uh, he wanted a global council. And he argued that socialism and democracy were synonyms. And when we look at these two men, uh, President Nixon and President Wilson, and then look at President Trump, this is not to say Trump is some kind of shining exemplar of virtue or competence, but he hasn't, as far as I can tell, put anyone in jail for disagreeing with him. He certainly fired people, but that's his right. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's foolish, but it's not illegal and it's not persecution. He And, and certainly when it's not based on uh, racial absolutely, or he, gender or strict political grounds. He seems to have no real problems um, with hiring people of any time. And I think he has often been racially insensitive. I think that's fair to say. But I don't think he has any particular animus against anyone who isn't not feeding his ego. I mean, that's the big thing. <laughs> it's his narcissism. If you feed his ego, he doesn't care what color you are. Right. Yes. Um, so... I really and, don't think and you I can think look he at genuinely it. wants what's best for the country. Yeah, because and he identifies himself with the country. So yes. So there's this idea that Trump is America, America is Trump, and what's good for America is good for Trump, and so forth. <laughs> um, but I mean, that is a warm feeling. It's it's a sincere motivation for wanting people to be happy, like he thinks he's happy. Yeah, and we um, we've had some other doozies of presidents like Franklin <laughs> Pierce. James Buchanan, Andrew Johnson, Andrew Jackson. So, yeah. Uh, but if you view things through a lens of only what has happened today, and I think a lot of people do, then you come to some very uninformed conclusions. So, I wanted to end there because as bad as it can be, it has been worse, and there are many good things to be thankful for. So. And, and we actually did go into a civil war after bad presidents. <laughs> and, and that is something we should keep in mind. 
it is something we'll be talking about, of course, as we go on, because the election's coming, and we all pray that we're able to have a peaceful election, uh, an election that people can see is fair. And whether President Trump wins or loses, we'll have work to do. So, And we encourage you to just go out in your community and do things with your neighbors. And remember that your political differences are not differences that make you incapable of relating as people. It's what unites us as we the people is very, very important. And we just urge you to remember that. So I want to thank you all for tuning in or watching us later. Uh, we have been the Editor's Pick podcast from We're Elephant on Quora. We do encourage you to like and subscribe. We do this once a week. Uh, next week might be on a different day, but we will be having a podcast next week. Um, and turn we on notifications, too. Yes. Hit that little <laughs> bell. Um, join our Discord. We have that linked in the show notes. We have a lot of activity. It's a huge community. We're constantly talking respectfully. We have liberals and conservatives and centrists. We're all interested in listening to each other. That's the big thing. Our three R's of research, respectful, and relaxed are always enforced by the moderators. So please come on in. And um, if you're interested in coming on this podcast and discussing this stuff, let us know. Thanks for watching. Thank you, everyone.